And I think what we do at Sarai is kind of like, I don't really kind of push like, oh, we're Filipino, we're Filipino, eat our food. And I think it just kind of, it just comes naturally. Like what we do is just, at the end of the day, just delicious food. This is The Crackling. I'm Anthony Huckstep. Australia has one of the most colourful culinary landscapes on the planet. Our fascination with the many cuisines of Asia is no surprise given our proximity. But Filipino food is one that has taken longer to take hold than others. There is, however, a throng of young, enthusiastic professionals led by chef Ross Magne, who are exploring the bounty of the 7,000 plus islands of the Philippines. Ross, Filipino food has really come to the fore lately. How does it feel to be part of that? Um, so in the last five years, I think, when I was head chef at Rice Paper, we started to do a bit of Filipino food. Obviously the food was Southeast Asian. And then I put some Filipino food influences at the restaurant. Uh, I think people loved it because it was something new and something fresh and something people haven't seen before. And obviously through Melbourne Food and Wine Festival, we've done some events and uh, had some chefs over from the Philippines to come collaborate and stuff. Um, and I think there's a lot of Filipinos in Melbourne and I think they really enjoyed that. And I think it was, it was amazing to be part of it, to be honest. Tell us a little bit about Filipino food. It's a it's a pretty amazing place, over 7,000 islands, um, and the food is so different to um, many of its neighbours. Uh, tell us, um, from your perspective, what Filipino food is. I think, um, well, obviously, the Philippines is the same as like Thailand. Depends on the on the region you go to. I think the food is very different. Um, my family is from the south, so there's a lot of like curries, like thick. Um, spicy, funky food because it's close to Malaysia, right on the south. So it's very like lemongrass, coconut, chili based. Um, and yet again, in the Philippines, they, uh, we've been calling, they've been colonized. We have been colonized by the Spanish and the Japanese. So obviously, there's like a lot of um, Spanish influences in the food. Um, there's a bit of Japanese influence in the food and the Malay influence in the food as well. Um, and I think, yeah, it depends on where, which area you're from. Take us back to when you were a kid. Can you tell us about any sort of feasts or the food that you enjoyed with your family when you were young? Yeah, totally. So <clears throat> I think like both sides of my parents are, sorry, both my parents are really good cooks, right? Um, my mom's side is Spanish, like my grandma's Spanish. So growing up, I'm eating like a lot of like Spanish kind of food, like calios, lengua and tongue and stuff like that. Um but with my dad's side, is more like the traditional Filipino food, like pinakbet, which is very Ilocano, very traditional. Um, it's very kind of like country style kind of cooking. And every like celebration with us is always, it's always about food, right? Um, from like birthdays, baptisms and everything. I think it's interesting because like um, in the Philippines, obviously, you know, like, like the families are not rich and stuff, but even if, um, families are poor, they kind of invite you to their homes and it's all about food and it's all about welcoming people and I think it's very hospitable, you know. Uh, the pork and, and pig is um, very important to uh, food in the Philippines. Do you have any stories of the feasts that you had when you were young where uh, the pig was central to that? Oh, totally. Every every birthday or every celebration, every wedding, I'd be like, where's the lechon? You know, <laughs> it's, what I, it's what I think about. It's like, it's like, 
it's funny because like if there's a celebration, I'm like, I want to come just for the lip shine sometimes, and I'm like, sad to say, but I'm like, yeah, this is my main focus, and I think kind of like, it's 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 a centerpiece, you know what I mean? So like, whole pork roasted in a spit, stuffed with like lemongrass, chili, garlic, and all the best things in the world, stuffed in there, and yeah, it's just a highlight, and then I think. Lechon is a very Spanish thing, right? And I think it's it's one of those influences that Spain, it's a, sorry, yeah, it's a Spanish influence. So I think it's kind of like part of a massive celebration. And I remember like as a kid, like, you know, you, you always go for the skin, but I think the best part of the pork is the ribs because all the flavors in it. Mm. Yeah. Cool. Well, what makes a great lechon? Can you take us through the process and, and how to get that incredible glassy sort of uh, crackling and skin? Oh, yeah, totally. Well, there's two ways you can do it. You can do it like whole pig, right? And I think the size matters. It has to be kind of like suckling kind of size, like maybe 15, 20 kilos so that it's not too fatty. Um, a lot of people that roast the pig, like we call them lechoneros, which the people who roast the pork. Um, there's different techniques. Sometimes they brine the pork or they kind of brush the pork with soy sauce and Coke, Coca-Cola. Um some people brush it with milk as well. So you kind of get like that glassy kind of texture, right? Um, traditionally, you put it in a big spit and then you use coal and you kind of like slow roast it for a couple of hours and you keep turning and turning and turning and you get that, you achieve that, um, uh, that crispy skin. Um, traditionally, the best lechon is in Cebu because um, I think they, the, the stuffing is what it's all about. So like they stuff it with like lemongrass, chili, garlic, black pepper, sort of black bean, they make a paste and they kind of rub it in the belly and they cook it for several several hours over the coal. The, be- the best thing to do is cook it over coal because the flavor is different and they brush the skin with some, yeah, I'm pretty, yeah. Some, some people have different techniques. Some people brush it with like soy and vinegar to get that red, like crispy kind of uh, skin. Um, yeah. Food was really at the heart of your family growing up. Who, who were the real influences on you that um, – made you decide that a career in food might be an option? Um, sounds cliche, but I think my grandma on my mom's side, Carol, did like a, had a massive influence in my career because she used to own a restaurant when, when my mom was young. Uh, and my mom used to, yeah, my mom used to talk about how good he was and then how famous it was in the city. Obviously, I didn't get to see it because I think when I was born, he wasn't there anymore. Um, it was this place... In Cagayan, the Aura City, which is in the southern part of the Philippines, it's called, yeah, it's called Carol's. So her name's Carol. Yeah, the place is called Carol's. Yeah, so it's very traditional kind of Filipino food, right? Um, and I think, yeah, with, with that as well, like obviously played an influence because growing up eating really good food. And then even my dad's side, as I've said, um, can cook really well. So food has always been kind of part of growing up, you know. But I didn't think about becoming a chef when I was young until like I was like 19, 20, so. Tell us about that time. Like when when did you make that that call that maybe that's the direction you'd go in? Yeah, I think when I was in year twelve, I was like kind of wasn't sure what I'm doing actually, and I'm like mm, maybe I should do that, do that. And I've always wanted to be a journalist actually, because I because I smashed English in school. I'm like maybe I should be a journalist. You know, there's a lot of like opportunity with the media and stuff. And then all of a sudden, I was like mm, chef and cooking. You know, I think like, again my grandma influenced me to like. Maybe it was the cooking school, so I applied to William Anglis. Um, I didn't do an apprenticeship. I did like a commercial cookery course. I, I finished like a diploma, a little degree, 
Um, but while, while I was at school, what I did was work at different places, you know, just to learn stuff for free. Stage there, one day there, one day there. Yeah, so that's why kind of now I kind of like, you know, have a little network of people that I know that are because of that. What were the, the first sort of real important venues uh, and mentors for you as you started to build your career? Um, the first job I had was actually this place. I can't even remember what it's called, like massive function space. We see like a thousand people or not, and I was in the dishes with no, with no, uh, with no machine, right? That was exhausting. It's like t- till this day, one of the hardest like jobs ever because it's like a thousand people functions and like, it was only two kitchenettes and there was no machine. I was like, I kind of hated it at the start. <laughs> but then I applied, yeah, because I was at school then and I was doing that. And I was like, um, kind of like, oh, what am I doing, you know? But then those periods in your life kind of like mold you to be who you are now, right? Because, you know, it's hard. And like, I think as a chef, I think you need to kind of like work every section, kind of know, you know, like how it is and you learn from it, you know. So I reckon I advise every, any chef should start as a kitchener. Um, but then I, I got a job at this place called Society back in the day, which was this Italian restaurant in the city. Um, it's one of the really good ones at the time. This was like 10 years ago now. And this guy, Giuseppe Uva, took me in. Um, and it was actually my real kind of like experience in the kitchen, you know, the intensity, uh, the hours, you know and all that stuff. Um, and I kind of, till this day, like, he's one of those chefs that are kind of not, not really well known, but to me, he's like super special. Um, and while working there, I met a couple of chefs. Um, this guy named Shahaf, which was like, till this day, again, like, no one really kind of knows him, but then for me, like, one of the best, one of the best cooks, right? And one of the best special chefs I've met in my life. I think society had that team of people that kind of like, look up to until this day because in that kitchen it was kind of like everyone could cook everyone was organized you know and everyone was like super um super amazing at their jobs actually you, sp- you spent some time with darren purchase uh birch and purchase in south yarrow well do you have any stories of what it was like working with him oh amazing I, he was because when i was working there i was yeah i was still at school as well and at the time i think Darren was also just kind of like starting out um, BNP. Um, he wasn't in, on MasterChef yet, nothing like that. So it's kind of like there were days, it was just me and him. And the, the stuff that I learned from that guy have been to this day, one of the most important things I've learned, like doing pastry, being organized, like, um, yeah, just like the, art, like the art of pastry was kind of, I, really, I was really passionate about it when I was like starting out. So I was doing a lot of pastry um like working like everywhere just like for free again as i said like to do pastry and stuff um and yeah and then darren started his dessert nights at the time and yeah i was like i fell in love with pastry and how darren was and he was very obviously very um not strict but kind of like um intense you know and very very creative and i learned a lot from him yeah darren and kath kath as well kath was in the business side of things and she was unbelievable. You've done a lot of traveling and a lot of, um, had a lot of gigs sort of all over the planet. Take take us on a journey. What, what's some of the experiences that you've had and, and how have they influenced you? Oh, amazing. I think as a chef, the best thing you could ever do is travel. And I think it's one of those jobs that you can travel and then kind of get a, get a job, right? Um, with me and traveling, I've been super blessed that I've met a lot of people like, overseas who've invited me to go cook and do like a gig. Um, 
let me think. I've been, I've been invited to cook in Singapore. I cooked at um, Butcher Boys. It's the same guys at Cure. Andy Walsh is a chef. Um, I cooked uh, Miss Smith, which is like part of the Ben Ann's crew um, for the birthday party. So that was fun as well. Uh, in Bali, I cooked at Coup because uh, Ben and Steve, who used to be the chefs at Coup who now own like Mason and Shelter in Bali. Um, we've done events there. Um, yeah, just all over the place. I've done like Malaysia, KL, Paris. I've been, done events in Paris and stuff, um, which, is a bit, which have been amazing, you know, because you go into those kitchens and kind of like, it's either, you, you, meet these, you meet these amazing chefs, right? And then you kind of do your food and it's like, it's amazing, you know? And then you meet these amazing people and share stories and it's kind of like hang out with these people and it's been amazing. Uh, Work-wise, traveling-wise, I, I worked in Thailand, in Phuket. And there's a restaurant. There's a restaurant in Spain called Azurmendi, which is like a three Michelin star place. And they've opened up like a sister restaurant in Thailand in like this fancy villa. So I worked there for a bit. Yeah, um, and the same kind of food, same kind of ethos, kind of like from garden to plate, kind of like Spanish food. Um, and then yeah, and then I, I went to Brazil, Sao Paulo as well. I, I started at Dom. And, um, I went to Tala's place, which was like unbelievable, right? And the stuff they do there is crazy. It's insane. So yeah, I've been like pretty lucky to travel and stuff for food. Well, not many people get to work with Alex Atala. Um, take us into the kitchen at Dom. Like, what, what did you do there? And what, and what was it like compared to other kitchens you've been in? No, it's crazy because, like, they had, like, so Dom. Um, so Dom is next to Dalvajito, which is their other restaurant. Um, Dom's got maybe, in service, 20 chefs, right? Um, and they prep at Dalvajito, which is, like, their, prep, their other restaurant and prep. Um, I think I was lucky because I think when people stage at Dom, normally they go to the prep kitchen and then they stay there the whole time. Um, but I couldn't speak a proper Portuguese, so they they put me in the main kitchen where everyone spoke English. I was doing service, you know, so I was like doing a bit of fish, doing a bit of garmanje, uh, lada, and I think helping out um, Giovanni, the chefs, like plating up like the ants dish with pineapple and stuff like that. So it was awesome because like. And, and at the time as well, it was um, Alex was like, obviously, like, you know, Alex is like a celebrity rock star in, in Brazil, right? But then at the time, he was kind of like back in the kitchen because he was kind of like, he was like decided kind of like, oh, no, I kind of want to go back in the kitchen, easy in again. So, yeah, when I was there, he was there every night, which is amazing. When you came back to Australia, you kind of uh, left the kitchen for a bit and focused on the front of house. Tell us why that is and what you got out of it. Yeah, I think I can't remember specifically, like, when that was, but yeah, I was just burnt out. Yeah, I, yeah, I was burnt out. I, I, I remember I was burnt out. Um, what happened? Yeah, I, I can't even like, I don't remember details, but I know like I left because I was super burnt out. I was super stressed because when like that first maybe five years of cooking, that was like, it was intense, you know, like 80, 90 hours, 100 hours stress. It was intense. And I was like, you know, I'm over it. And I was like, I'm gonna go overseas, de-stress. Now visit family, and then when I came back here, um, I, I, I worked. Yeah, I worked front of house for a bit with a friend of mine. He he used to own a Thai restaurant, and I was like, dude, can I just like work with you? He's like, yeah, you can be in the floor, and it was like the best thing ever. I think I did it for six months. You know, wake up a bit later, chill out, have coffee, and just go to work. You know, and then not stress too much because it was kind of like a super casual like Thai restaurant. I was like, 
loved it. And I, and I loved it again, you know, and I eased my, my way back into hospitality again and kind of like, you know, I actually love doing this, you know. Did it give you a different perspective dealing with customers as opposed to being in the kitchen? 100%. Because, you know, when you're a young cook, you always have this mindset kind of like kitchen versus front of house. Like, we're in the kitchen, blah, blah, blah. And obviously, when you kind of work in on the other side, you kind of understand, oh, wait, like this, you know, like this side is as important as the other side. And you kind of realize that mm, you need to work as a team to be able to kind of, yeah, run the restaurant smoothly. And I think like even like, like learning like basics, you know, like polishing cutlery, you know, like setting tables is super important. Rice paper was an opportunity for you to sort of uh, put your voice on a plate as as head chef. Tell us how, how that came about and, and the experience that gave you. Yeah, so I, I came back from Thailand working um, and I came back to Melbourne and then I organized a stage at Attica, I think, because Peter Gunn was a good mate of mine. He used to be the Sue and I was like, <clears throat> Let me, uh, you know, I want to stage, see what, see what you guys are doing. So I staged at Attica. Then after I staged, I think a friend rang me who used to be my sous chef at Society, the first chef that I had. He rang me and he said, look, because the rice paper kind of just started, but then they were opening, they were about to open the Fitzroy store. So he's like, we get a position available and, um, there's a sous chef spot. And I was like, all right, I'll come in and trial. And I looked at, honestly, when I looked at it, I'm like, hmm, I'm not really sure about this place. Because eh? cause at that time, I was kind of like focusing, like fine dining places because I wanted to learn more. Um, and I was like, <clears throat> I'm not sure if I want to work in a place like that, like simple, funky, kind of like fun. I was like, hmm, we'll see. So I came in, did a trial. <clears throat> chef liked me, Shane, who's my business partner now. Um, was a, the boss and, and ex-owner. And then he's like, he's like, oh, blah, blah, blah. And then we kind of got along. I kind of enjoyed it. And then, and that's it. And then I was meant to go to Fitzroy to be the sous chef, but then ended up being the head chef. So I, I think I was like 23, 24, pretty young actually to be head chef. So pretty awesome. What was that role like for you and the, and the pressures um, of, of being head chef? Oh, I, I didn't know what I was doing. <laughs> <laughs> even even now, even now I don't know what I'm doing. But no, it's kind of like, but it's kind of one of those things that you kind of like, oh, hold on, you know, like you don't realize at the time, but then like there's all the responsibility that goes with it, right? It's not just about the food and 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 stuff. It's all like if you're head chef, you're running the whole restaurant. You know what I mean? So you kind of have to like learn that slowly. And I think one of the 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 the, the best things I've learned in that period is being patient. And controlling your temper is because back then I was kind of, a, you know, like more intense and kind of like, yeah, kind of like can't control my temper properly. So I was like kind of, you know, that, those are like the most important things I think I've learned. Like at that time starting out, you can be super creative, but then at the same time you need to be able to run people and delegate and be a leader. And I think that's the hardest thing. Take us into the kitchen of rice paper with pork being so significant with Filipino food. And I know that uh, rice paper explored Southeast Asia. But do you, did you have any pork dishes on the menu that sort of spoke of what you were doing then? Um, yeah, so when I started, they were doing this um, pork dish, basically. So you cook it in a master stock, you know, heaps of spices, like old school Chinese spice. And you, so it's about, uh, twice cooked in there and cool it down and during service you kind of deep fry it until it's just like crispy 
And then we used to do this sauce with uh, chili caramel, so like heaps of funky spice paste, some shrimp paste, and you put some um, palm sugar in it, and you make this like really thick caramel, and you put some lime in chili. So it's very like sweet, acidic, funky, and it's like you put that on the pork and then a bit of salad on top, amazing. Um, and then when we opened Sister, Rice Paper Sister, we were doing we were doing this pork dish like kind of adobo, but kind of like a modern version. So adobo is like uh, it's like the most popular Filipino dish, right? So it's like pork with chicken cooked in like soy vinegar and garlic and black pepper, and you reduce that. So it's like a little stew. Um, and and our version of it was kind of like roasted pressed pork belly with a bit of adobo sauce and. Put some scallops on top and some Yarra Valley caviar and some crackling. So it was, yeah, it was interesting because like pork and scallop and, you know, and pork and seafood always works, right? But, um, <laughs> but yeah, that was a, that was a banger <clears throat> in my opinion. Anyway. You mentioned that was a chance for you to start integrating Filipino food onto the menu. Um, and it led to now the sort of full representation of your interpretation of Filipino food. Um, tell, take us on that journey of that sort of experimentation and the acceptance of, of the cuisine here. Yeah, totally. Yeah, I think, like, I've got a different mindset of it because, like, when I do dishes like that, um, obviously, firstly, like, when I was when I was chef of rice paper, I had, like, full uh, – freedom for creativity and stuff. So I'm, I'm, as long as we kind of like, you know, um, stay in that Southeast Asian kind of thing. So I pretty much did whatever I want, which was amazing. Um, and yeah, I just like did bits of pieces of the Filipino food that I've grown up eating. And I'm not an expert in it, you know, like I've only maybe scratched the surface, maybe 15% of what it is, right? I only know the flavors that what my parents have kind of like cooked for me when I was young. Um, and I think, I think that's important for me because because of that, I'm very confident in putting that on a plate because I know it's delicious because I'm like, mm, I've been eating it since I was young. And I kind of don't, yeah, it sounds, but I kind of don't do this, like the stuff that I've done because to please people, right? And I was like, I just do this because I know it's delicious and hopefully it will work. And then, yeah, and then it works. So obviously with the rice paper thing, as I said, like there, there were a lot of opportunities and pre-COVID, the Filipino thing was kind of hot. Um, we're doing the Melbourne food and wine thing. We had people kind of like talking about the Filipino thing. Um, and then COVID kind of hit. So it was like, all right. And then I left rice paper. Well, um, take us to uh, the, the creation of uh, Surrey and, uh, and, what, and tell us about what you're doing there. Yeah. So when I left rice paper, it was just uh, COVID just hit. And my plan was actually to go to Paris to work in a wine bar. Um, cause it's always been a dream of mine. Wow. Yeah. So I was kind of like organize it then. And then my, my whole plan fell through and I was lost and I was broken. I was like, shit, what am I going to do? Um, so obviously I stayed here for a bit. Um, and a couple of months later, this lady, Bujana from Bulgaria kind of messaged me cause she had a mutual friend. She goes, you want to come to Bulgaria? I'm doing this like pop-up in the pop-up restaurant in the seaside hotel in Bulgaria. <clears throat> and I'm like, Sure. And anyway, it took us like six months to like organize this thing because of paperwork, blah, 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 blah. And eventually I got to Bulgaria and had the best summer of my life. Um, and I was, yeah, I was cooking on the seaside on the beach in Eastern Europe. Yeah, no one does that, right? Um, and she, she's like this huge celebrity chef in Bulgaria as well. So there was a bit of hype, me coming over. So it's it crazy. It was like a proper roller coaster. Um, 
but then then after the after the um, beach pop up, I went back to Sofia with her, and we did some private events, some super like bougie like private dinners. Um, oh man, like stuff that oh, it's so much fun. Can't say it on a podcast, but you know. <laughs> but um, uh, but then when I was there, Shane, who's my ex boss at Rice Paper, one of my best mates and business partner at Sarai, he messaged me. He goes, "Hey, I know you're having fun, blah blah blah. Get it out of your system." But I think I've found this space. And I'm like, ah oh, man, I'm like, I'm not sure, man. I want to stay in Europe, you know. It's amazing here. I want to stay for a couple of years. And he was persistent, you know. He, was, he kept telling me blah blah blah. And I've got this other guy, Ben, who's my other best mate. Shane said that you come work in front of us. I'm like, I'm not really sure. Anyway, at the end of it, he persuaded me, and then I'm back. And then I got back in December. Well, you've made quite an of uh, an impact since then, um, and you've got a great connection with um, producers and farmers. Um, tell us about the connection and fa- and with uh, Western Plains um, pig that you have. Yeah, I think when I was at Sister, I just kind of like. Um, it's kind of like those moments, like obviously when you're a chef, you're being creative, um, you cook some rice food and obviously you kind of like try to concentrate on getting like really good produce for the restaurant, the best produce, blah, blah, blah. Um, and I think I, I, I don't know if I Googled them or just, I don't know which, who, who, yeah, I don't know who approached who first, but then, but then, yeah, obviously by some planes came up, I'm like, Ooh, awesome. Um, and then I think like try the sample and the, obviously the pork's unbelievable. Um, Western Place, Mount Mercer, Judy, who's the um, owner, farmer, unbelievable. Like she's like the most loveliest and most generous and beautiful lady ever. Um, and then yeah, we started this like this relationship. And I think those relationships are important for me, not just the product, but who they are as well. Do you know what I mean? Like you have to be cool and you have to be kind of like generous for me. That's important for me, you know, because I don't want to deal with someone who's like rude. Um, but yeah, and I think that relationship started with that, and then now we <clears throat> we use the pork on the menu. You've got lechon on on, uh, on the menu. Um, uh, t- tell us a bit about that. You mentioned you know in the Philippines the best comes from Cebu, but what are you doing here, and how does it work in a restaurant setting like yours? Yeah, totally. So I want so you can do you can do lechon like a rolled pork belly as well, like a poketa. Um, yeah. So, but our version is is basically just the belly. Um, but the same, the same spices that Cebu Lechon has, we kind of do it on, on us as well. So we kind of rub the, the Western place pork, which we use, um, with some spices in the middle, uh, sorry, in the belly. And we kind of, um, smoke it in the wood fire, try to cook it in the wood fire. Cause sometimes we get super busy cause we get like 40, 40, we go to like 20 bellies a day, for example, and we can't cook every, we, yeah, we can't cook everything in the wood fire. Cause it's, you know what I mean? You can't, it's just not, it's just not practical. It's a good idea. It's a great idea. Cause, cause the thing is like some restaurants can do it. Cause they only do like 10 portions. You're doing tasting menu, but ours is not achievable. Cause you know, we, we're going through so much. So what we do sometimes is like kind of like semi cooking the oven with the spices and then hang it, smoke it and kind of continue cooking. So it's got like that beautiful smoky <clears throat> wood fire um, flavor with the crispy skin. Um, so the idea is like, <clears throat> we roast it like that with the heaps of spices. Um, and then we serve it with a palapa, which is like a Filipino sambal. Um, so we, we take pineapple and we kind of like smoke and slow roast it in the wood fire as well. Get that smoky flavor. So it's got like chili, lemongrass, 
herbs, shallots. You make that little dressing with coconut vinegar and soy. So that's kind of like the like the salad that goes sambal goes on top of the pork, um, which is very like palapa is very like uh, southern southern Philippines kind of influence. Right, where my family's from is from the south. Um, and then we serve it with this sauce made from the bones of the pork. So we, some of the, the bones of the pork and some, some other stuff, we mix it with like <clears throat> darker cheese. It's kind of like a mixed kind of sauce, right? We reduce it, make a jus, and then we kind of uh, put Don Papa rum, which is like a Filipino rum. So it's kind of like sweet, sour, salty kind of jus, smoky. And yeah, super simple. Everything, everything in Sarai is super simple. So Your grandmother, Carol, was a restaurateur and – have you had a chance to um, see any recipes from her? Have they been passed down? Has there been any interpretations of dishes that she had in, in her restaurant? Totally. Uh, I said, right, not yet. We're, I'm about to do this um, langua dish that she used to do that's unbelievable. It's basically tongue, beef tongue, slow cooked, sliced. And you serve it with like this like, creamy mushroom sauce. You know, oh, I, I think I'm doing it at the restaurant. Basically kind of similar Take the tongue, smoke it, slice it, um, make a really rich sauce with maybe pine mushrooms. <clears throat> smoke that, do that, and then put it on like some some toast. Super simple. I think it's really beautiful. With such a food-loving family, what, what do your family think about what you're creating there in Melbourne? Oh, they love it, man. Like <clears throat> every time I have something on, like an article or something, I always send it to my grandma. You know, I link her. She's into, she's into Facebook, man. She's 70-something, but she's like, she's Facebook savvy. So everything that I – that's why I, I, I watch what I post on Facebook because she's watching, you know. So I'm always like – I'm like, I'm partying sometimes and I'm like, shit, I posted that and maybe delete that. You know, and I'm um, – yeah, I just like – like um, articles, I send her some articles and um, I think she's very proud of me. Like, you know, your grandma tells you that they're proud of you. I think it's amazing. Well, you're creating something pretty special there and giving Australians a, a real um, glimpse of Filipino food and, and culture. Um, what do you love about what you do? I think, um, obviously, opening a restaurant, um, running a restaurant, everything is very intense, right? There's a lot of stress. Um, you know, people really don't show the side of it. You know, it's, people, it's like, it's glamorous. You're opening a restaurant, oh, it's amazing. Congratulations, you know. So sometimes when people say congratulations to us, I'm like, like, mm. but I just thought, thanks. But, you know, like, there's always that dark side of it. It's intense. It's like you're doing, like, 80, 90 hour weeks. There's a lot of stress, anxiety, you know, that goes through it. Um, but I think with the restaurant, um, what inspired me kind of thing is kind of like, you know, the people that I work with, um, the producers and the customers that come to support us have been amazing. Um, not just friends, but, you know, like the media, the Filipino community have been amazing as well. It's so many Filipinos coming into the restaurant. And the, the funny thing about it is either they kind of like love it or they kind of like, oh, it's not traditional, but that's like one out of like maybe a hundred kind of like, mm, it's not the same as how my grandma makes it, right? And by the most of the people come in and they love it. Even like, I'd be surprised, even the grandmas and the grandpas, I'd be like, mm, it's a bit like, you know, but then they enjoy it. They have a great time. But yeah, you know, it's the opposite. But those people that you think they would enjoy it, don't enjoy it. I'm like, mm, really? I'm like, which is which is funny, right? Um, and I think what we do as well at Sarai is kind of like, in, well, when I do the f- dishes, because most the dishes, Shane and I collaborate together because he's kind of the creative director. So we've got bounce back with ideas and stuff. And he's amazing. And he's super creative. Like, 
he has he's never really tried traditional Filipino food, which is kind of weird and funny. But um, yeah, and he's um, he's but his knowledge with food and like his creativity is is amazing. Um, and I think what we do at Sarai is kind of like I don't really kind of push like oh we're Filipino we're Filipino eat our food. And I think it just kind of it just comes naturally. Like what we do is just at the end of the day this delicious food. Yeah. Well, it's amazing what you're building there, Ross, and it's an honor to have you on The Crackling today to hear your story. Uh, please keep in touch and we'll catch up soon. Amazing, man. Thanks for having me. This is The Crackling, a Deep in the Weeds production in partnership with Porkstar. I'm Anthony Huckstep. Stay tuned as we catch up with some of Australia's best chefs and pork producers to discover what makes Australian pork so special.